from the blue-green waters of Claytor Lake to the hiking trails of the NRV, AM HodgePodge is on the air. Here are your hosts, Keith Weldons and Mark Tapp. All right, New River Valley, this is Mark Tapp with Keith Weltons. You're listening to AM HodgePodge. Yeah, good morning. I'm struggling to find a uh, a jack that I can hear anything. Can you hear this? I can't hear anything. You can't? No, it's, 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 it's the thing. It's the technology part. You know, it was kind of like in the house the other day. I couldn't even get the television to work. And so I'm like, I can't even get the television to work. The television won't work. It can't. It keeps saying no signal. It keeps saying uh, this, that, and everything else, right? So I'm. I spent about an hour and a half just trying to get my television to work. Yeah. Everything on there. You know what fixed it, don't you? Turned it off. Yeah, turning it off. <laughs> right. So the problem becomes your, te- your your television's a little c- computer too. Your television's now has uh, computer chips and Wi-Fi this and everything else. Right. Yeah. And so the darn television wouldn't work because it wasn't syncing up with the Wi-Fi router. Well, the Wi-Fi router, I reset everything else over and over and over and over and over and over, but yet it was turned to television off for 12 seconds and plug it back in and then magically it's trying to pick up my neighbor's wi-fi everything else except for mine so then i had to struggle to get that hooked up so not being able to hear myself on the uh the cheap cord that i've got plugged into the (laughs) outlet thing that's the the worst of it the the the, the least of it yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's not so bad yeah. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. This is Keith Weltons, and that's Mark Tapp. You're listening to AM Hodgepodge. This is a show for and about New River Valley. We also try to bring in guests, and we bring in outside topics. Our first segment, we usually speak about beer, and we will do that. We also do a little bit of beer over ball segment. We're going to do that, too. And then uh, we play some games. Interesting. And you do share your opinions periodically. Are you, you're getting them primed for that? I said you. Oh, me. Yeah. You share your opinion. <laughs> I, I do. Periodically. Yeah. Um. I. It's. It's. Uh. <laughs> not to. Not to. Uh. Throw a pun out there already, but it's like Mark Light. It's Mark Light. Yeah. It Today. does. Yeah. <laughs> Today. Good. Well, it always is on the radio show. Yeah. Well, because we do. We've tried really hard. Because you and I both are very. Uh, uh, we we converse a lot about politics. Yeah, we've left the you know our parents used to say don't talk about religion or politics. Yeah, you and I uh, have left the politics uh, warning aside, and and we talk about politics politics all the time. But we've well, we've specifically it, tried to leave that out of the radio show. Correct. Well, unfortunately, society continues to push politics yeah. as a day to day. Uh, conversation. It's one of the potential uh, uh, tools 
that is constantly being talked about between what media or your friends mm. or your church or your sports team, your your beer company, they all weave now into you to where it feels like everything mm. is a judgment. Yeah. And there are times it's like I don't want to be judged. I mean from the yeah. from from the the perspective of uh religion in someone's life, individuals understand that one of the things that we're asked to do is to not judge, right? He who has not sinned, let them throw the first stone. And so it's like, so we're trying not to, to, to do that, but yet they continually, when I say they... I'm just talking about greater forces beyond the two of us in a room. Sure. Uh, Bring up things, and it feels at inopportune times. It feels like when Thanksgiving would happen, someone would say, well, you know, Uncle Bob's coming over, and everyone don't talk about whatever with him. Mm -hmm. And Uncle Bob would be on his best behavior for (laughs) an hour. And then it would open up and everyone would be at ease. To, and you're, you're just trying to give thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, I think you could. There was a time in our lives, and we're not that old. There was a time in our lives when uh, you could leave politics at the door and you could leave religion at the door. Yeah. And and you could get away from it, and now it's really, really hard. Yeah, I believe you do a good job of it, and I do believe that I do a good job of that too. Yeah. But but when 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 the push comes to shove, you also realize that you're not supposed to be shoved. <laughs> you're right. you're you're supposed to stay. No, this is my line. Yeah. Like, and that's a core. There's a commercial for a television show, and this guy says. Uh, Blah 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 blah, and this says the the this conversation is, and this the person says, "Well, we share a lot of the same values, don't we?" And the guy goes, "Yeah, sure." And then the next scene is he's calling. He goes, "Hey, mom. Hey, this is Mike. Hey, what are our values?" <laughs> right? Yeah. So he doesn't even understand what the person is trying to do. I believe that we're mature enough that we understand where our line is and what our values are. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't give plenty of freedom for others, other people. Uh, we, we we jokingly say they they have every right to be wrong. That's fine. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're not going to stop them. And stop. you and I both know because we've had enough conversations with people outside of our sphere mm-hmm. uh, that, generally speaking, when if you can sit down with an individual and have a civil conversation for more than two minutes, yeah. Um, there's usually more commonality between almost anybody than there is difference. And with the exception of a handful of issues, sure. Where there's, where there's almost always some kind of a difference. Uh, But, but generally speaking, most of us all want goodness uh, for everyone. Yeah. So anyways, uh, uh, before we get too, you know, too off the rails, um, I want to bring this article up that I okay. found. Deal. Um, and I think you're going to like some of this. So okay. this is a, it's a new article. It's by uh, Bob Lettenberger. He is a an editor for a magazine called Trains Associate uh, uh, Trains. Okay. So he's the associate associate editor, and this is an article that he wrote in April, um, just a few days ago. It's called Five Mind Blowing Beer and Train Facts. Okay. 
So I'm not going to uh, hit on all of them because uh, I want I want if if people want to see it, they can go on to our Facebook page. But I uh, you know we've been talking a little bit, uh, skirting around the issue about um, advertising in the beer industry. And the number one thing that he put on here was uh, referencing. You remember the the silver bullet ad yeah. that, that Tours did. So uh, the ad had sort of a it was a train, yeah, in the shape of the can, and it would bul- it would bust through ice and snow, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, of course that was all animated. Mm-hmm. But they actually did have a real train that was. Uh, mocked up. So is this a scale, like, like a like a like a, a scaled version, like a one twentieth scale or one sixth no, scale, this, this or is this was, an actual train track? So Molson Coors in Canada um, worked with a, a company called Via V I A Rail, mm-hmm. and they actually fielded a real Coors Light Silver Bullet train. So what they did was they wrapped uh, an engine and a couple of cars. In that shape, to look too. like, yeah, mm, to cool. look like the, what the ad looked like, um, and so they they actually did have an actual silver bullet trail. And I'm going to take you on a little journey. This is like the, the, uh, a journey in Mark's head. Okay, I'm going to take yeah. you. So, so I found this ar- this article. I read that. I thought it was kind of cool. And then the number two uh, train fact with beer talked about uh, uh, Grand Central Depot in New York, and. It talked about uh, uh, you remember uh, 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 Schaefer beer. Oh yeah, the Schaefer Brewing Company. Yeah. So apparently Schaefer had a brewery that was just down the street from Grand Central uh, in in New York. And now I have never visited Grand Central, but apparently they've put the, the the beginning of the rail in that area of town is actually underground. And if you go back in history, back into, uh, um, I want to say it was the early 1900s. Uh, actually, it was, it was 18, late 1800s. Um, they were having difficulty with train and uh, pedestrian accidents. Because all of the rails were above ground, sure, and of course they probably didn't have all the safety things and the mm-hmm. you know the arms that come down and all that, um, and so the community said, "You guys have to do something about this. You need to, uh, the, you know, the accidents are getting out of out of control." So they decided they would bury the rail uh, and and it would start underground. The problem with that was Schaefer Brewing Company being down the road. They had an underground cave system that they used to lager their beers in. Oh, uh, sure. So um, what you find out after I start digging, no pun intended, uh, is that most of the – well, all of the breweries that were founded in the early – and mid-1800s, they didn't have refrigeration systems. They all used the cave system. So they all were built – in areas near caves, and they, and some of them would dig these caves uh, out, but they they were pretty extensive systems mm-hmm. to the extent that some of the brewers actually had cave systems. They might build their house, their home near the brewery, and then they would extend the cave system to their home and have a secret 
uh, entrance into the cave. So you could actually walk to the brewery through the cave system. Um, so I thought that was fascinating. And, and I, I'll probably go more into the cave system uh, next week when we uh, do our next um, brewing segment. One other thing I wanted to address here was uh, just because I thought it was fascinating, um, the Pullman-style beer. Mm -hmm. So um, you can imagine if you were on a train, you would you might order a beer. Yeah. And uh, this, I think, speaks to sort of this formality that we used to have um, in our society that we no longer have. And we've kind of moved away from it. Everything's a little more casual. So th- this is a 12-step process as to how to pour a beer for someone who is on the train. Okay. Uh, number one, ascertain from the passenger what kind of beer is desired. Number two, arrange the setup on the bar tray in, buf- in the buffet. One cold bottle of beer, which has been wiped, standing upright, a glass, and they have a specific glass. It's the number 11 glass. Two-thirds full of finely chopped ice for chilling purposes, making it a distinctive service. Glass, number it's a number 12 glass, so you've got two glasses on this tray, a bottle opener, and paper cocktail napkin. In that glass? Uh, it, it's on the tray. Okay. So the attendant should carry the clean glass, uh, a clean glass towel, on his arm with the fold pointing towards his hand while rendering service. Proceed to the passenger with above setup. Place bar tray with setup on table. Place paper cocktail napkin on table in front of passenger. Present bottle of beer to the passenger displaying label and cap. Return the bottle to the bar tray. Pour ice from the chilled glass, the number 11 glass, into the number 12 glass. Open the bottle of beer with the bottle opener in presence of passenger holding the bottle at an angle, pointing the neck of the bottle away from the passenger. Wipe the top of the bottle with the clean glass towel. Pour beer into glass, the number 11 glass, which has been chilled, right, by the Uh ice, but no longer has the ice in it. Uh, By placing the top of the bottle into the glass and slide the beer down the side until the beer reaches about two inches from the top, then put a collar on the beer by dropping a little in the glass, which now should be upright. Place the glass containing the beer on the paper cocktail napkin. Place the bottle containing the remaining beer on the table before the passenger with the label facing him. Remove the bar tray with the equipment not needed by the passenger and return to the buffet. You think you could remember all that? Yeah, it's basically... (laughs) Glass, glass, ice, wipe, pour. I, I like. I understand the pour method too, as far as getting the neck uh, right. in there. So I get that. I could do that. Yeah, I, n- I know you could do that. Uh, but I thought it was funny that it was so specific, laid out like that. So now the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, on this train journey is a a train, and and then this might give us a segue into the next segment. It's a train car, a rail car, that was commissioned by Adolphus uh, Bush. Okay. And so think back in the 1800s and 1900s, uh, travel was obviously significantly different than it is today. And so you know, today, if you're wealthy, you might have a private jet. Mm-hmm. Back then, you had a private rail car. 
So Adolphus actually had two rail cars commissioned, uh, and I found out that one of them still exists and is actually for sale for $40,000. So I was reading this. uh, this this rail car was actually built in 1954, um, and it was commissioned by the Bush family. And um, and and it's interesting the journey that this car actually has has taken in its lifetime. So uh, it was equipped with an observation lounge, a stateroom with private facilities, and two bedrooms with shared facilities: secretary's room, dining room, crew quarters, and a kitchen. It sleeps eight. So the Bushes sold the car in the early 60s, and the subsequent owners included a couple of different rail uh, companies, but it also included, uh, it was used by President Gerald Ford for uh, whistle stops. When he was uh, campaigning. Yeah. And then this is where it gets even more interesting. It was later stored by Amtrak once Graham Clater commissioned uh, the fleet. So, you ever thought about how Clater Lake got its name? Hmm. Is that it? Yeah. So, it's the same guy that the lake was named after. Huh. And And I didn't know anything about Graham Clater until I, I read about this. Apparently, Graham Clater, um, he worked for Jimmy Carter... Uh, he worked under the uh, Reagan administration as well. He, um, at one point in time, was uh, uh, he, he was actually uh, the commanding. Let me see if I can find it here. He was a commanding officer of the destroyer escort USS Cecil Doyle, which was on patrol in the Pacific Ocean in 1945 when the USS Indianapolis was hit which i believe is the the ship that had uh all the the shark attacks Mm -hmm. if you remember that when all the sailors were in the water so he was on he was the commander of the ship that rescued 300 of those men and he was named later in life virginian of the year i did not know that yeah so he didn't design the lake or the dam. He was just named He after. actually, so he worked, I think he was the CEO of uh, Appalachian Power. Oh, uh, at the time? At the time. And so he, he built the dam. Yeah. He commissioned, well, he commissioned it to be built, and it right. was named after him. Huh. But his family, he's got uh, uh, a couple of sons that were uh, involved in, in, in AEP and in the Burlington uh, sure. Railroad. So he's a rich family history in the in the new river valley there's a lot of connective tissue there yeah so that was that was the journey that i took in your head (laughs) it was a long journey yeah but it's very interesting and i hadn't i had no idea uh what i will tell you is why don't we go ahead and take a break and when we come back we'll go ahead and do ball over beer all right and we'll go ahead and talk about what is currently going on in the world of beer advertising. Stick with us. You're listening to AM Hodgepodge. Life's the same. I'm moving 